advice? Your inbox is way more important than what you're reading there. It can wait. You've got more important things to do. <laughs> well, good morning. Thank you, everybody, for having me here. Uh, it's great to be here in a church that is alive where the Spirit of God is flowing, where the name of Jesus is uplifted here. And uh, I'm just grateful for your amazing pastors. Why don't we honour your amazing pastors, Pastor Paul and Ruth Whitehead, <laughs> paving the way, paying the cost. You guys are doing an amazing thing up here. I just love coming into the prayer meeting. It uh, challenged me uh, just about how you guys have created an environment here where you just have people excited to, to connect and to pray. And that's uh, no mean feat in the 21st century to get people to come early to church. Uh, but it's great to be here today. And I want to do something totally different. Uh, I want to turn something up on my head here. And I, I, as uh, I asked these guys, what do you want me to preach about? And they said, well, whatever you feel like the Spirit of God wants you to do. And so I thought, you know, I would take a little bit of liberty with that this morning. And I wanted to come to church and I want to give you some bad advice. I want to give you some bad advice this morning. I want to talk to you about how to drift from God. Okay, I want to talk to you about how this, this morning, I'm going to give you some great keys. If you ever wanted to wonder, if you were unsure about how to drift from God, well, this morning, you'll be able to walk out of here knowing exactly what is needed to happen to drift from God. But I want to ask everyone a question right now. I know, and so, I, so please bear with me. Give me my time, and I'm sure we'll land this thing. We'll end up in a place where we'll be happy. Um, <laughs> But I want to, yeah, Aaron just said he hopes so. I hope so too. I hope so too. But I want to ask a question right now, and I want to be really honest. Uh, as a pastor, uh, I know that you see people up in the front here, and, and then the, you see people up on the stage, and you might go to conferences and stuff like this. But I want to ask a question right now, and I want you to be honest. I don't want you to look at the person next to you and think, oh, yeah, man, this is them. I want you to answer this question honestly by yourself. How many of you right now, have been closer to God at some point in your past than where you are this morning? Raise your hand. If I was to be honest right now, I would probably honestly raise my hand. I feel like there's times in my life and there's just seasons that we go through. And I want to talk to you about how people drift from God because there's times when we've been passionate and excited about the Word. I mean, we come into church, we're excited about coming to church and, and that we're, we have this powerful prayer. And then there's just seasons in our life where for whatever reason, it just cools a little bit. But I want to tell you a story before I kick into this. I heard a story about a, a couple. They've been married for about 20 years and they had a, a, a ute, but they had one of those utes that had like all three seats in the front. So there was like no gap in the middle. And so they were newlyweds. And then they were newlyweds. They, they went about and the, the, the husband would sit there and drive in the, the, the seat there and the wife would come and she would sit in that middle seat and she would place her hand lovingly in his hand or on his lap and lean her shoulder in and, and there 
there and just, just time after time they would drive. And they found and discovered that 20 years later as they're gone, she'd slowly just drifted along and she'd come across into the other side and she was sitting in the passenger seat, seatbelt on, it was fine. You know, at first she would reach across and they would hold hands and they would hold hands in the middle, but they, they found themselves 20 years later. And she was over there and she says to her husband, she's like, what has happened? We used to sit there and hold hands and do all these things and all this sort of stuff. And the husband, without beating an eyelid, said, well, I haven't moved. (laughs) I didn't move. And you know, God is like that sometimes in our life. God never moves. He's immovable. He is the rock that we place our faith and trust on. I want to share with you from Matthew 13. Uh, and if you've you got your Bibles, you can pull them out there. But Matthew 13 uh, talks about the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Jesus goes in there. It's really good when you read your Bible. There's the red letters in there. And when those red letters are there, you know that they're extra important because Jesus himself said them. And it shares this, this parable. And, and he talks about how there's a sower. And he goes to sow some seed. And some of the seed fell onto the path. And the birds, they came and they just ate it all up. And some of the seed that was sown went onto a rocky place. And there was not much soil there. And so it it sprung up, but the sun scorched it and there was no root and it just didn't grow up with it and died. And some of the seed was was chucked out and it went amongst the thorns. And there was a a season where it was there, but it just eventually got choked out by the, 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 the environment that it found itself in. And then there was some good soil where it was sown out and it was multiplied 30, 60, 100 fold times. I want to tell you this morning at Site Church that you are one of those good soil 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. And this is what Jesus does is because the great thing about Jesus is He doesn't just say stuff. He wants to explain stuff. He wants you to know and to understand Him. He wants you to know Him and what He does. So He goes in the disciples and He explains to them. And in verse 19 of chapter 13, it says this, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And some of us are like that. Some of us come along and, and maybe you come into church and you would say, oh, he's not making any sense here. I mean, I didn't really like that joke, you know, that he said about that kind of thing there. Man, look at his clothes. Like, does he even know how to dress up here in Northland? And you come up here and you start looking there. You know, I don't, don't like his Auckland haircut. Look at that shaved on the sides. Looks too much like Aaron. And there. <laughs> You know, with like all this kind of stuff. And people come and, and, and they, they hear the message. They don't understand it. And it just gets snatched away. And it's just right at the start there. Or in Matthew 13 and 20 to 21, it goes on. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root and they last only a short, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And some of us are like that. Some of us find us in that place where we're cruising along. We're excited about today. Man, we go along to life groups. We come along to the church prayer meeting. Man, we are there. You're passionately reading the Word of God. You have that Bible app on lockdown, and every day you are reading that plan. Bang, ticking it off. And then you're going along. But then after a couple of months, for whatever reason, the passion just falls away. 
just like the seed fallen on rocky ground. And then in verse 22, it says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and they make it unfruitful. These people aren't bad people. Maybe you find yourself in a situation or a time in your life where you've been like that. Man, we're just, the, the study and the assignments, it's just busy. There's just stuff that you have to do. Man, the house just needs to be cleaned and there's chores and stuff. Or maybe you have a part-time job on top of your full-time job and you have all those family commitments or you're in a business and you're looking to expand and there's just so much to do and you have to have the me time. And so you find yourself not giving that time to God and and you spend times with friends and you keep up with all the latest trends and, and you have late nights and early starts. Busy, busy, busy. And all of a sudden, it just, just the circumstances of life and the pursuit of wealth choke out the things of God. But in Matthew 23, uh, verse 13, verse 23, it says, But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't grow crops. I am a youth pastor. I work for my church. I work with people, and I love working with people. But my understanding is that if you were a farmer and you received a, a yield that was like five times as much, you would be pretty stoked. Like, that would be a great yield. Like, if you were getting 10 times, you're like, woo yeah, buddy, this is awesome. Like, if you, if you go into there, like, this is just like, this, this is amazing. 20 times, it's just like, oh, this is a brilliant year. 20 times yield, woo, man, I am stoked. And then Jesus doesn't go into this, this, this there because all the people that he is speaking to would have understood what it meant to receive a, a return of, of five times or 10 times or 15, 20 times or whatever. He says, no, no, no. I, I, I'm talking about 30-fold. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, if you were to receive a 30-fold return on your investment, you're a happy camper. I mean, you, you go there and you invest $1,000 and you come back with $30,000, are you not celebrating? I mean, that is unheard of. That's awesome. 60-fold, that's a miracle. Whoa, 60-fold, man, I am stoked. And then 100-fold, well, man, that's only God. Only God can do something like that. But it's so easy for us to just drift along. I, uh, every summer, I get to come up to beautiful Northland, and I go to a place called Fananaki. And in Fananaki, there is an incredible beach. Has anyone been to Fananaki on the Tutukaka Coast? It's amazing. 30 minutes just north of Whangarei. It is awesome. And we go there every year. And one of the things about uh, the beach there is I love it, is that it gets a little bit of surf sometimes. If the conditions are right, it comes in. But my wife, Bianca, she always says to me, Andy, be careful. You don't understand, my cousin, when she was a little girl, got taken out in a rip, and she's like, where's the rips? Where's it going? Like, she's like looking for anything that's out there, and she's always telling me, be real careful. Like, look, there could be a sharks out there. There could be a tsunami. There could be rips. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so this, I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I look, and I sit there, and I point out, and I go, well, that looks like it could be a spot over there, and that looks like it's like, oh, I'm going to swim over here. It's okay. 
And I remember going there one year and we're going out and the waves are pumping. It was awesome. It was just great. And I was just body surfing along. And we, uh, we, we park up uh, when we go out there in front of these, all these Norfolk Pines and we put all our stuff down there. And I remember just going out and then back in. I was just getting body surf after body surf. And I was just having a great time. I was just loving the northern summer. It was just awesome. Isn't it great that the weather's getting warmer, by the way? Next week, daylight savings. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, it means that you have to be at church in an hour earlier, but it's okay. Um, but anyway, I'm there and I'm body surfing. I'm going out there and I must have been doing it for about 20 minutes or so. And then all of a sudden I look up and I don't recognize the beach that's in front of me because without even knowing it, I drifted 150, 200 meters down the beach because I'd gone out and then across, out and then across, out and then across. And I just didn't even realize. And isn't it funny how in life sometimes just by going about the daily things that we do, we can find ourselves drifting. We can drift along and not know where we are. In Hebrews 2 verse 1, it says, we must, be more care- we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away, that we do not drift away. And so this morning, I want to give you some bad advice. Who's here ready to receive some bad advice? These are the keys that you need if you want to drift from God. The first key here is neglect your time with God. Neglect it. Absolutely neglect it. I mean, don't listen to what it says in Psalm 63 verse 1. It says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So if you want to drift from God, neglect your time with God. Very simple. Don't read your Bible. Or if you're going to read it, just read it out of obligation so you can tick off a reading plan. Don't read it so that you can hear from God. Don't, 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 don't say, God, speak to me this, through this word. Don't speak to me and bring your revelation living and active in my life. Certainly don't do that. And, and here's another great key to neglect your time with God. Be passive and do not engage with worship. Look at all these amazing lights that are around here and, and the smoke machines and the multimedia. Get caught up in that. Think about the volume of the music. Concentrate on that. Don't think about God. In fact, come late to church. Come late to church. Miss out on some of that praise. In fact, better yet, don't even come to church. Don't come to church at all. And certainly do not get involved. Don't give your time. Don't give your money. These all things. Don't, don't pray to God. I mean, certainly. Neglect your time, but do not pray. You don't want to pray. And do not receive prayer. Don't, like someone asked, can I pray for you? Say no. <laughs> you don't want God intervening on your behalf without you. So say no and all these things. Neglect your time with God. Don't earnestly seek after Him. The second thing you need to do, if you want to drift from God, is you need to hang around the wrong people. Hang around the wrong people, because this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I want to tell you right now, it is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. So if you want to drift from God, then hang around the wrong people. Don't hang around strong, committed Christians that are on fire with God who would love you enough to bring correction into your life, that would speak to you when you're going the wrong way. Man, when you have a friend that goes to you and says, hey, I'm a little bit concerned about something in your life, then man, ditch them. 
Don't have friends that will challenge you to go further in God. Don't have friends that would encourage you and uplift you. Have the bad friends, the ones that are happy, that are where you are. In fact, this is what you want to do. You want to find friends that are worse than you. You want to be the best so that you can feel good, okay? Not to share, but, 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 but not to share your faith. Don't have them so you can share your faith with them, so, but have them so you can feel better about yourself, so that you can shoot them down to bring yourself up. And, 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 and this, is, this is a great thing. If you hang out with the wrong people, date someone or marry someone who doesn't believe in God, that has no connection to Christianity, that all they're trying to do is bring you up. In fact, you can become what I like to call a cultural Christian. So when you're in the culture, you can say, yes, I'm a Christian. And when you're in another culture that wouldn't endorse that, then you can just go with the flow. <laughs> Hang around with the wrong people. Hang around with the wrong... You want to drift from God, that's what you want to do. The third thing is give in to temptation. Give in to temptation. Do not resist it, give in. James 1, 14 to 15 says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Now, don't, don't, don't try and resist it. Give in to temptation. Because sin is fun. Well, if it isn't, then you're doing the wrong ones. But the thing is, <laughs> well, sin is fun until it isn't. This is the thing about sin is that sin is fun until it isn't. And it always will arrive at the point where it isn't. I like to think of sin like this. Sin is like a sneeze. Like it builds up and you have an anticipation for it. The moment of the sneeze feels great, but then you have to deal with the snot. You have to deal with the mess. You have to deal with the muckiness and all this sort of stuff that goes on. I, I remember... Anyone here like pine nuts? I love pine nuts, but they're like 80, 90 bucks a kilo, right, to buy these pine nuts. And so when my wife's uh, nanny, she passed away, uh, it was, it was a, a sad time for us, and we were clearing out her, her kitchen uh, cupboards and stuff like that, and in there was a little bag of pine nuts, and I just took those pine nuts and I pocketed them because I really like pine nuts. <laughs> And they were expensive, and I was like, this is like a $10 bag of pine nuts, and I'm going to take this. And I remember taking this $10 bag of pine nuts, and I took it home, and I consumed these pine nuts. And, you know, like any nut, one is never enough. And so I ended up eating about two-thirds of this bag in one sitting. And anyway, that was great, and I didn't tell anyone about it. I just took it, and I just ate it, and I just enjoyed it, and it was great. The next day, I went to go have a cup of coffee with, uh, with Bianca, and the coffee that I tasted was disgusting. Like, it was so gross. And I was just like, man, I'm never coming back to this cafe again. And I actually was so incensed by this coffee, I said, oh, you burnt the coffee, or there's something gone wrong here. And I actually got them to make me another coffee. They made me another coffee, and the coffee tasted exactly the same. I'm like, oh, that's, I'm never coming back here again. I didn't say anything, and I just, just went away. Then I went and had my lunch that day, and my lunch just was gross. It was just disgusting. And I was just like, man, what is going on here? And then that night, my meal that evening was also just tasted incredibly funny. Well, at this point, I'm actually starting to get concerned. I don't believe that it was the coffee at that cafe that was bad, but there was something going on with me. And I literally was like getting concerned. I'm like, man, I need to go see a doctor because something is going on here. Is this a symptom of something 
bigger and better and like what's going on and I had no idea what was going on and I tried googling and I was just what it, I was trying to figure out what had happened and then as I was going along somehow in my mind I clicked that I like what have I done different I've eaten these pine nuts and so I googled like weird metallic taste pine nuts and I found out that there is this thing called pine nut syndrome and what happens is that pine nuts can actually go bitter and they can, you can consume pine nuts and they don't taste bitter at the time, but the, the, the literal like, concoction of what they are and the makeup of them changes. And as you consume them in your body, like people all around the world have experienced pine nut syndrome and for up to two to three weeks, it can change the flavor of everything you consume to have this metallic taste. Now, I had this pine nut syndrome for about a week, and uh, praise God, it disappeared, and I resumed my taste buds there. But isn't that so much like sin, that sin would leave a residual bad taste in your mouth, that at the time you think you're having a great time and enjoying it and doing all that sort of stuff? But if you want to drift from God, give in to temptation. These are the keys to give in to temptation. Rationalize what you're doing. This is just the way I am. I can't help this. This is my background. It's because of my, back, uh, because of my parents. It's because of how much money I have. It's because of my upbringing. It's because of the school I go to. It's because of the people. It's, it's because of this disability. It's because of the sickness and all this sort of stuff. And then ask God to forgive you and then just keep doing it. Just ask for forgiveness. Don't repent. Just ask for forgiveness. And then, and then another great key within this is hide it. Don't tell anyone about this because if you tell people, they're going to challenge you and help you to overcome it. And you certainly don't want to overcome this because then you might become closer to God. I tell you, actually, seriously, one of the greatest keys of the enemy is to trick us into thinking that sin is so big and ugly that we can't tell anyone. But Jesus knows everything that goes on in our life, in our world, and there's nothing too scary for him. And I tell you, as a pastor, I've heard some pretty crazy stuff that people have told me, but I want to tell you, nothing scares me because you know what? The blood of Jesus is bigger. The God that I serve is bigger and mightier. But if you want to drift from God, you want to hide it. If you want to stay close to God, then you want to expose it because nothing, no darkness can survive in the light. All right, the fourth key to drifting from God. Are you there this morning receiving some bad advice? I'm sorry, Pastor Paul, Pastor Ruth. But I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to share this. <laughs> Point four, love this world more than you love God. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love this world or anything in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. But I want you to, if you want to drift from God, you need to believe that this world is your home. Sell out to materialism. He who dies with the most toys wins. Get into debt. Man, you need to beat your neighbors. You need to have a bigger boat, faster car. You need to have a bigger house. You need to have a ride-on mower. You need to, you need to, man, you need to have the flashes clothes. And man, if you wear your clothes more than three times, shame on you. I mean, just buy everything you can. Get into debt. And don't just enjoy things in life. Make them an obsession. 
Don't just enjoy the All Blacks, obsess about them. Man, you're, I'm glad that you, the All Blacks won last night so you're happy and can come to church, but man, you're going to three weeks of mourning if they had lost. You know, people obsess about stuff, obsess about fitness, obsess about wealth and, and getting things, obsess about going on uh, holidays and obsess about your hobbies. This is a great key too. Follow people on Instagram that make you hate your life more by showing you all the things that you don't have and that you are not. <laughs> follow those pages, follow those Instagrams, follow those Snapchats. Man, look at these people. They're all the things that I had not and they have all the things that I don't have. Social media is a killer. Social media is somebody else's highlights reel while as, well, you look at it and you understand everything that goes on in your life. Social media is a massive lie. But if you want to drift from God, buy into the lie of social media. Buy into the lie that this is what it's supposed to be like. And I've got a bonus tip here for you this morning, church. If all else fails, fake it. Just fake it. Isaiah 29, 13 says, The Lord says, These people came near to me with their mouths, but honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. So you don't have to be moral. You can just fake it. Learn Christianese. Praise the Lord, brother. I'm sanctified by the blood. I'm praying for you. Oh, praise God. Just, just talk the talk. Have the lingo. Fake it out. If you want to drift from God, those five keys, I can guarantee you, I do not know a single person alive that has applied those five keys in their life and has stayed connected with God. They have drifted. And this is how it happens, slowly at first. If you look up, you don't really notice. And it just seems the same until one day you look up and you're just not connected. But my friend, if you want to stay connected with God, if you want to stay then, then we're not called to neglect our time with God. We're called to prioritize our time with God. God is calling you to hang around, not the wrong people, but the right people. I, that doesn't mean don't hang out with non-Christians. That doesn't mean hang out with people that don't have issues. But what that means is that build into your life relationships and connections with people that will challenge you, that will encourage you, that will hold you accountable, that will push you more, that will see the gift of God on your life and will say, Andrew, what a mighty man of God you are, praising God. You're creating an atmosphere around your world. That will look at you, Aaron, and say, you are an incredible encourager and that you're lifting people up. They will look at you and say, it's Christ in you, Pastor Paul, that is drawing people into the kingdom. You want to hang out with people that will encourage you because in times of your life, you will have ebbs and flows where you just don't feel like it. And when you have the right people around you, they will lift you up and will bring you into that place. I will tell you, there has been a number of times I've not wanted to go to churches, not wanted to praise God, not wanted to pray, not wanted to read my Bible, not wanted to say an encouraging word to that person that blessed me with their non-encouraging word. I want to tell you, there has been times in my life where God has challenged me and said, are you going to stay in that level? But because of the people around me, I look to them, they inspire me. And they cause me to look up. God is not calling us to give in to temptation, but to resist temptation. 
The Bible says that if we would submit ourselves into God, unto God and resist the devil, he will flee for you. That there is no temptation given to unto man that Jesus himself has not experienced and that God will give you a way. He will give you a way to stand up under that and escape it. Resist temptation. We're not called to love this world more than we love God. We're called to, I'm uh, sorry, yeah, we're not called to love this world more than we love God. We're called to love God more than we love this world. I tell you, when we, when we love God with everything we've got, when we pick up our cross and we carry it, we say to the things of this world, we will not be bound by you. We will not submit to you that there is a higher calling, a higher authority on my life. There is a plan and purpose and I will not let the things I see before me, the temptations of materialism, the temptations of just grabbing something here, but I will pursue God. I will seek the eternal destiny that He has for my life. And so this morning, I want to ask you a question. Because I found myself at one point in my life asking this question, and I was shocked. Are you a full-time pastor, but a part-time follower? Or what are you? What is your vocation? Are you a, part, a full-time parent? full-time student, a full-time businessman, a full-time teacher, a full-time tradesman, a full-time retail assistant, but a part-time follower. See, I, I want to challenge you here this morning, church, that we're not called to be full-time in our vocation and part-time in our relationship with God because our Jesus is everything jobs will shift and change seasons of life will happen but our God is the rock and will never change he has never moved he is still exactly where he was this morning as I've spoken if you felt like you're for whatever reason have drifted maybe it's a little maybe it's a lot I want to tell you our God has not moved and he stands here today waiting with arms wide open, loving you with an everlasting love. He would say, you know what, I'm right here. You can come right back at any time. If you're here today and this morning, you're feeling something. You're feeling like, man, I want to come forward. I want to get closer to God. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That means you're good soil. That means you'll reap a harvest 30, 60, 100 folds. I'd be concerned if you were here in this place, my friend, and you didn't care. There was no, nothing there. That's the time to be cautious. In Revelation 3 verse 1, it says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus was speaking to the church in Sardis, a church that looked like they were alive, looked like they had it all together, but on the inside had drifted from God. Today, my friend, we need to return to our first love. We need to return to that time and place where we were passionate for the things of God. Well, if you're at that peak right now, then I'm going to challenge you to go further and, and deeper into the things of God. But if we're not there, then we need to return to that and scale higher because there is greater things that He has for you. Revelation 2 verses 4 and 5 says, You have forsaken the love you had at first consider how far you've fallen repent and do the things you did 
at first. Repent means we just turn around 180 degree. Maybe this morning as I spoke, spoke this morning, you felt like, actually I have some of those things in my life that would cause me to drift from God. I want to say, church, that you can just repent from them, turn 180 degrees, and the grace of God will come upon you. See, the grace is the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called you to do. And God will never ask you to do something that He will not empower you to do. And then we need to do the things that we did at first. Get to the prayer meetings. Man, I remember that excitement I first had. Do you know when I first became a Christian, I remember I, it was August 26th of 1998. And I wanted to read the whole Bible before the year was out in 1998. And I pulled out a calculator. I didn't have Google to ask how many chapters there were in the Bible. So I literally got a calculator and added up every single book in the Bible. And then I figured out how many days were left in the year. And I divided the total number of books, uh, chapters by the total number of days and realized that I needed to read 12 chapters a day. And I remember night after night in my room, sometimes half falling asleep. I don't know if I understood or even got a quarter of what I read, but I passionately pursued God because that was the first love. Man, I turned up to every meeting. I didn't miss a single thing, man. If I could be there, I was. Man, I remember times when I first, I, I, I felt sick and I said, I don't care, I'm turning up anyway. And you know the amount of times where you turn up anyway, where God just comes and moves and does something, man, it just blow your mind. See, God is not moved. And today I would want to ask who is here and would say, you know what, I want to come back and draw close to God again. I ask right now that every person just bow their heads and close their eyes. And I want to give a moment in this meeting, in this service, for you to take check of your own heart. I know that the things of life happen and occur here. But I believe that God is here, a loving God that understands everything you've been through and still has His arms open for you. And if you're here this morning, I'm not going to invite you to come up the front. I'm going to pray for you in your seats where you are. But I know that there's many people in this place that God is stirring about a returning to your first love, doing those things that you did at first to come back and to draw close to God again. And if you're here this morning in this church, and for whatever reason, with no judgment, with no condemnation, with only love, you would say, I'm not where I want to be with God. I feel like I've drifted. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you. And if that's you here this morning with just every eye closed, because this is the moment between you and God, I'll invite you right now just to lift your hand so I can know who you are and know who I'm going to pray for. I'd love to pray for you. Just lift your hands right across this place. Many hands going up. Many, many hands. It's great. Your good soil. I declare over your life your good soil right now. Fat Church, I'm just going to invite us all. Can we just all be standing right now? Just as an act of engagement. And if you lifted your hand right now, I just want to invite you, if you feel comfortable, just to close your eyes, lift your hands as a sign of openness to God and the Holy Spirit that's here in this place. And I'd love to pray for you. 
And then I want to believe with you that you would come not again just to that place where you once were, but into the greater things that God has for you. So just as you have your hands raised and hearts open, Father, I thank you right now for every single person that's here in this place. God, I thank you for the call of God. I thank you for the purposes of God. And God, for those that have lifted their hands, Lord, that Lord, have found themselves drifted away for whatever reason, God, we're sorry. We're sorry, and we choose to repent. Whatever actions and things that we've done, we give them up, we give them over to you today. We say we have them, God, because we are choosing you. We're choosing not to drift away. We're choosing to be intentional with our lives, with what we're doing. God, I thank you right now for an anointing and a presence that's here in this place. The grace of God through your Holy Spirit here today that empowers us to live the life you've called us to. And for every person right now, God, I pray for an impartation of your Spirit. Lord, that you would move in their lives in a mighty way. Move in their families. Move in their workplace. Move in their schools, God. Move in their communities. Because Jesus, you are the reason. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And God, we forsake the things of this world to chase after you. God, we thank you for your presence and your anointing that's here. And in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the name that's above every other name, the name that every knee shall bow and tongue confess, the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. I tell you today is an incredible day for you. I want to tell you that this week is the start of a new week. This is a week where God is going to do great things. And I believe He's worthy of our praise this morning, church. You want to praise God in this place? Come on, let's praise God.